0: If you haven't seen that ad before, and I'm aware it slightly dates me, um, I'm sure you'll have seen something pretty similar. Uh, The purpose is clear, isn't it? The government wants you to wear a seatbelt, and so uh, the advert and others like it deliver a short, sharp shock to us about the consequences uh, of what not doing that will be. Uh, It's not an easy thing to watch, uh, and as I was looking for videos, there are ones that are way worse than that. Uh, But we understand why they do it, don't they? They want to protect us. Uh, They want to shock us. Uh, They want us to listen. And Daniel 5, uh, tonight, the chapter that we're looking at as we continue through that book, is a little bit like that advert. Out of nowhere, it seems, we're introduced to a new king, uh, Belshazzar, moving on from Nebuchadnezzar. We don't know a huge amount about him. In fact, most of what we know about him is contained within this chapter. But very quickly, we see the serious and in some ways terrifying consequences of his decision to continually ignore God's grace and to instead live for himself. So it's not an easy chapter uh, for us to look at, but it is a vital one. Uh, So as we begin tonight, let's ask for God's help uh, to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us again as we come to your word this evening. Give us your spirit so that we might not be like the man who looks in the mirror and then immediately forgets what he looks like. Lord, help us to see reality, to see you as you truly are, and to be changed by your word. Amen. Uh, We're going to take ourselves uh, through Daniel chapter 5, through the story, and then reflect on what that means uh, to us. Uh, So we're going to move fairly quickly. Um, If you've got Daniel 5 open in front of you, that should really help. Um, And the first thing we're going to see are who Belshazzar's gods are in verses 1 to 4. There's various theories about who exactly King Belshazzar is. Um, There's no king over all Babylon uh, who goes by that name. Uh, And so the best explanation seems to be uh, that he is a descendant of Nebuchadnezzar, possibly the son of King Nabonidus, an unpopular king who had to move the capital of Babylon um, and left his son, uh, another unpopular king, uh, holding the baby, as it were, uh, in charge in Babylon. Uh, He's there as second in command, and that kind of makes sense um, of his offer to Daniel later in the chapter uh, to become the third ruler. Uh, Daniel chapter 5, though, is less concerned with King Belshazzar's lineage and more concerned with what is going on in his heart. The first thing that we learn about the king, apart from his name, is that he cares deeply about what other people think about him. Uh, Look at verse 1. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Uh, Very likely at this point, the Medes and Persians are getting ready to overthrow Babylon. Uh, They're encircling the gates, and what is Belshazzar doing? He's throwing a party. He's throwing not just any party, but a party for a thousand, uh, and drinks wine lavishly in front of them. I think this is what you call main character syndrome. Uh, Whilst Rome is burning, as it were, Belshazzar tries to impress his friends, uh, the great and the good, the lord and the kings of Babylon, uh, with a giant knees up. But this is no innocent uh, last night of freedom. It's filled with sin and idolatry. Uh, look at who's there in verse 2. Not just the king and his lords, but his wives, plural, and his concubines, uh, whom were often treated as slaves. And look at what he uses uh, to drink from in verse 2. When he tasted that the wine was of uh, sufficient quality to meet his exacting standards, uh, then he decided that the ordinary cups weren't quite good enough. And he commanded that the uh, holy gold and silver vessels, the ones used in Israel's temple, uh, which were set apart uh, for temple usage, set apart for God, should be used to toast the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Other's god's then, his uh, priorities, what he cares about, what motivates him, what he seeks security in are really clear to us as we open this chapter. Wealth, fame, pleasure, praise. Functionally, these are Belshazzar's gods. And so whilst the enemy is literally at the gate, rather than serving the people as their king, he parties, plunders, and abuses. All of, the, all of this, though, just like that advert, is brought to a screeching halt in verse 5, where we see God's inevitable judgment. Uh, Immediately, verse 5 begins, a finger appears and the writing is quite literally on the wall. Uh, The writing's on the wall is a phrase which has entered into our common usage, isn't it? Um, I guess we mean something uh, like the outcome is now inevitable. You know, Newcastle United are going to be in the Champions League next. Okay, I could think of a better illustration, maybe something more certain than that. There's no stopping what is coming next. And there is something terrifying about that. Uh, look at verse 6 and the way that King Nebuchadnezzar reacts in a physical, visceral way uh, to this writing, to this judgment. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. You could almost knock King Belshazzar over with a feather. The color drains uh, from his face He's not able to stand because he realizes that what is going on is real, that it's inevitable, that it's true. And so in his panic, the king calls for the advice of the wise men of Babylon. But verse 8 tells us they couldn't read the writing, nor could they make known to the king the interpretation. And so King Belshazzar's reaction continues. He's greatly alarmed. His color changes. Kings are perplexed. King Belshazzar's party is then well and truly over. He seems to know instinctively that he's been caught out and that the consequence of his actions are now upon him. He turns to his wise men and promises them riches and honor beyond their imagination if they can just tell him the meaning of the writing. But he finds human wisdom is lacking. A God we know is a God who is patient don't we a God who is long-suffering whose steadfast love endures but he's not weak he cannot abide as a matter of justice other gods these gods of wood and silver and stone these gods who are no gods at all taking his place and he will not ignore King belshazzar's sin and the horrific consequences of that the damage that it causes God will judge. It's necessary that he does, and it's even good that he does. But it is a terrifying thing to fall under that judgment as Belshazzar so physically and viscerally realises now. That's almost the end of the story for Belshazzar as the attention shifts now in verses 10 to 17, away from Belshazzar and to someone we might have forgotten about, God's servant Daniel. Uh, The rest of the chapter focuses on him, uh, away from King Belshazzar and onto Belteshazzar, which is Daniel's Babylonian name, which is really similar, and yet they are very different people. Their motivations, their lives, and their futures couldn't be more different. Uh, Daniel reappears from obscurity in verse 11. He's brought back onto the stage uh, by the queen, possibly the queen mother who notably is not at Belshazzar's party. She recognizes that Daniel is different. In verse 11, she says that in Daniel is the spirit of the holy gods. He's not just a better version of the king's wisest men, the wisest of the wise. No, Daniel is a holy man. He is a man who has access not just to human wisdom, but to God's wisdom, which we're told bring true light and understanding. And whilst between uh, chapter 4 and chapter 5, the leadership and kingship of Babylon has changed, it seems that Daniel has not. He is still set apart for God's service. Although possibly he's lost some of the standing uh, that he eventually had with Nebuchadnezzar, his standing before God is unchanged. And Daniel's identity, his motives, his security, they stand firm. And given the queen or the queen mother's recommendation of Daniel, the king tries to recruit him, tries to get him to help him out in his time of need. Look at verse 13. You are that Daniel. Imagine being called that by the king. One of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you. And that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now, if you can read the writing and make known its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold round your neck, and you shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. So here's the king. He calls you out. You're that person, the one who was called out of exile, one who is in this country at my gift. And I will give you, if you can just explain to me what's going on with this uh, finger writing on the wall, riches beyond your imagination. So how does Daniel respond? Well, he responds in an incredible way and in a way which lays David's motivation and indeed his heart there. Daniel listens to the king's offers of uh, riches, of power, of influence, of security. And he responds like this in verse 17. Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. We'll pick up the interpretation in a moment, but just notice the way that Daniel responds to the king's offer. Daniel isn't interested in the money, he's not interested in the fame, he's not interested in the power that Belshazzar might and can bestow upon him. Daniel cannot be bought. He cannot be bought because these things, money, fame, pleasure, power, they're not his gods. Rather he is the servant of the Most High God and it is with him uh, that Belshazzar begins his history lesson. That's what we're going to see next a lesson from history in verses 18 to 23. One of my children asked me last week what the point of studying history was, which, as a history graduate, was quite upsetting to hear. I responded with these words Those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Now, I don't always parent by quoting Winston Churchill, (laughs) uh, but if the opportunity arises, I'm more than willing. But that quote encapsulates the next few verses and Daniel's message to Belshazzar in verses 18 to 23. In in summary, he says this, God, the most high God, the real God, is the true king. And you know this because you saw the way that he dealt with your ancestor, Nebuchadnezzar. His greatness, his glory, his majesty, all came from God. And God is the one who is really in control. You know this because you've seen time and time again how He raises up and humbles who He would. Nebuchadnezzar, of course, was the ultimate example of this—the uh, king of all kings, humanly speaking—and yet the one who was made like a wild animal, uh, who ate the grass of the field, who had the dew uh, on on his skin in the morning because he lived outside. He knew all of this. But verse 23 says, You have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, And whose are all your ways, you have not honoured. Daniel's uh, conclusion, um, his accusation before King Belshazzar is clear and pointed. Belshazzar, you know your history, but you failed to learn from it. See, as we uh, read this chapter and see uh, God's judgment pronounced upon King Belshazzar, we might be tempted to feel a bit sorry for him. We might be tempted to think, well, isn't this all a bit harsh? But Daniel reveals that God has indeed been gracious to King Belshazzar. Through his dealings uh, with his ancestor Nebuchadnezzar, God has made it abundantly clear what type of God that he is. Yes, a God who is generous. Yes, a God who is patient. Yes, a God who is willing to forgive. But not a God who will be mocked. Not a God who... Uh, will fail to bring righteous judgment on those who continually refuse to treat him as he deserves to be treated. In the New Testament, uh, Paul writes in Romans 1, and he puts it like this. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, So they were without excuse. God says, simply, I'm not hiding. I've revealed myself and I've made the consequences of lifting ourselves up against him clear. But he has not yet forced us to bow the knee before him. For now, in this day of grace, that is a choice that each one of us must make. And so finally, in uh, the last seven verses, verses 24 to 31, we see uh, judgment delivered. Chapter ends, en- ends with uh, a sentence being pronounced upon King Belshazzar, and there is no escape. And the words written on the wall uh, read like this, Daniel tells us. Uh, mene, Mene, which sounds like the Aramaic for numbered. Tekel, which sounds like the Aramaic for weighed. And Parson, uh, the singular of which sounds like the Aramaic for divided. Belshazzar's days have been numbered, he's been weighed, and found wanting. And so now his kingdom will be divided between the Medes and the Persians. Belshazzar's treatment of God, uh, the consequences of his motivations and his actions, find their just reward. But notice here that Belshazzar is not the only one who gets something. Daniel gets something here too. Uh, Despite his earlier rejection of the king's reward, and is dangerously straight talking to the king about his coming judgment. Belshazzar commands that Daniel is clothed with purple, a chain of gold is put around his neck, and that a proclamation is made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. And so as the chapter concludes, and as we reflect upon it today, the question for us then is whose example will we follow? Will we be Belshazzar or will we be Belteshazzar? Or as is more commonly known, Daniel? Uh, the Scottish uh, writer and pastor Sinclair Ferguson uh, said this about Daniel chapter 5. He says, it is a reminder that we dare not presume upon the grace which God has shown to others. To know that God is gracious and yet not to turn from our sin in the light of that grace is to fall under his righteous judgment. There is danger in this passage. There is a serious warning. And it is for those who, like Belshazzar, have seen at least something of God's grace. Those of us who are well aware that God is a God who is just that he is a God who will forgive but that forgiveness came at great cost to him that it required him giving up his only son Jesus on the cross to pay for our sin so that he could justly allow him to suffer and set us free people like us mustn't treat grace as if it was cheap as if it did not cost God everything I wonder if Uh, For someone tonight, there is some area in your life which you're unwilling to give up or give over to God's sovereign control. Maybe some secret sin or some compromise uh, that you go on making. God will not be fooled. He doesn't demand perfection from us, but he does require wholeheartedness. So if that is you, then don't be like Belshazzar. (laughs) Heed the warning while you have time. Learn from history and repent. Wake up, uh, as John wrote to the church uh, in Sardis in the book of Revelation, which ironically was in Babylon. He says to them, you appear alive, but actually you're dead. Repent and strengthen what remains now while the time of grace is here. And for all of us here, there is a reminder, isn't there, to keep learning from history, to keep learning from the way that God acts time and time again. That's what we're doing so often, isn't it, on a Sunday when we gather together. I remember somebody saying to me, haven't you got it by now? You know, the Bible's quite a thick book, but you've probably read it. Isn't there any new information to get? But it's not about that, is it? As we come together, so often what we're doing is we're rehearsing together the truths of the gospel that we already know to kind of push them into our hearts again, to help us live them out afresh. We reenact them, and that's part of God's grace to us. Communion, the Lord's Supper as a meal, is doing exactly that. It's acting out again the gospel, and it's helping us to remember Jesus, to remember the offer of grace and forgiveness that comes through only him, before he returns in judgment. So keep doing that. Keep coming. Keep actively committing to remembering who God is and what he has done and to helping others do the same. Finally, Daniel shows us what it's like to live in a strange land when Daniel is pushed off the stage, when he lives in obscurity, when he loses the position that he formerly has, how does he react? How does he react when the new king not only fails to recognize him, but fails to recognize God and openly blasphemes him? He takes the treasures of his country and uses them to have a debauched pie. What does Daniel do? Well, Daniel remains faithful. He remains motivated by the same things, by God's glory, not his own. And that, I think, in this chapter, gives Daniel an incredible freedom, doesn't it? Because he's motivated not by his own glory, not by his own security or comfort, but by God's, he's able to speak to the king. The king who could have him killed, the king who could make him famous. And he speaks boldly about the truth to him, because he is looking at the true king, the one who truly holds King Belshazzar and Daniel's breath in his hands. And so perhaps that's where you need encouragement tonight. Perhaps there's somewhere that you need to take a stand, but it's not easy. Maybe there's a conversation at work that you need not to duck. Maybe there's a decision that needs to be made which might cost you something, which might cost you a lot, which might damage your reputation, which might cost you financially. Look to Daniel and see someone who quietly and carefully counted the cost of serving the Most High God and decided that he was happy to pay the price. And see how God worked through him. And see how God took care of him. And see how God blessed him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Daniel 5. Lord, we acknowledge that it is not a difficult message, an easy message for us to hear, but a difficult one. Lord, we don't like to hear messages of judgment, partly because we recognize that each of us deserves your judgment. But Lord, thank you that in Jesus there is forgiveness and that there is grace. Lord, help us not to take that grace for granted. Uh, but to turn to you, to cling to you, asking that your grace would cover us and asking that your spirit would help us uh, to live bold and confident lives, motivated by your grace and pushed on and pursued by your glory. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.